you have your Bibles with you, please open them to Micah. Something going on? All right. Micah, chapter 3. Before we do that, let me just open up in prayer. Father God, how marvelous, how wonderful you are. Lord, may we continue to sing of who you are and what you have done for us, that you have poured out your grace and your mercy on us through your Son, Jesus Christ, who died for our sins and rose again. God, I pray that we would just continue to praise and to worship you as we open your word together. So God, by your spirit, help me to preach this sermon with what is needed and use this sermon to bring glory to your name and joy to your people and salvation to the lost. And amen. So we're continuing on in our series in the Minor Prophets, taking a look at Micah chapter 3. So if you have your Bible with you, please open them and we'll read that together. Micah chapter 3 says this. And I said, Hear you heads of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel. It is not for you to know justice. You who hate the good and love the evil, who tear the skin off my people and their flesh from their bones, who eat the flesh of my people and flay their skin from off of them and break their bones in pieces and chop them up like meat in a pot, like flesh in a cauldron. Then they will cry to the Lord, but he will not answer them. He will hide his face from them at that time because they have made their deeds evil. Thus says the Lord concerning the prophets who lead my people astray, who cry peace when they have something to eat, but declare war against him who puts nothing into their mouths. Therefore it it shall be night to you without vision and darkness to you without divination. The sun shall go down on the prophets, and the day shall be black over them. The seers shall be disgraced, and the diviners put to shame. They shall all cover their lips, for there is no answer from God. But as for me, I am filled with the power, with the Spirit of the Lord, and with justice and might to declare to Jacob his transgressions and to Israel his sin." Hear this, you heads of the house of Jacob, the rulers of the house of Israel, who detest justice and make crooked all that is straight, who build Zion with blood and Jerusalem with iniquities. Its heads give judgment for a bribe. Its priests teach for a price. Its prophets practice divination for money. Yet they lean on the Lord and say, Is not the Lord in the midst of us? No disaster shall come upon us. Therefore, because you, Zion, shall be plowed as a field, Jerusalem shall become a heap of ruins, and the mountain of the house a wooden, wooded heights. And this is the word of the Lord. There you go. Micah chapter 3. Our eldest, Joelle, is almost three, or not three, she's almost 11, not three, <laughs> which is a new and uh, new area of life for us as our oldest daughter is entering into junior high, so good luck, Matt, and 
But as we reflect upon a lot of this, we've been blessed greatly with all three of our kids, with men and women, if it be in church or in our community or within our family, who have poured into our kids, into our children, and encouraged them to, encourage them, yes, but even more importantly, encourage them to grow and walk in the way of the Lord. It's great to have people who can walk alongside of you as a parent who uh, point your children to Christ and encourage them to grow in Christ. And uh, if you take a look at this, I don't know if you're going to be able to see it or not. Yeah, there you go. These are some of the people that uh, oh, God has blessed us greatly with. You know, you see, some, you see one of those pictures right in the middle is this young man. His name's uh, Jeff. He's really young, actually. But Caleb, for some reason, he helped in the nursery. So for all of you young guys who think that you can't do it, well, he can. And he's like the man's man. Uh, he is now, he's an adult, I think, now, but he plays UFC. So um, he, he fights people in an octagon for fun. Um, but there's, Jay, there's, there's Jeff carrying uh, in a relay race. Uh, it was Caleb's turn to run, so he comes, picks up Caleb, and runs. And if you, and if you look at his face, he's just smiling like it's no one else's business. There's people there uh, in the top corner. There's a, three boys who are teaching Michaela how to skip stones at family camp. We've been blessed greatly with people who have poured into our children. And I'm sure if you're a parent, you have the same thing. Even if you're not a parent, if you've grown up in any case, if you look back, you see people who God has brought into your life who have encouraged you to walk in the way of the Lord. You're not here by yourself. You didn't get to where you're at by yourself. And I say this to you. I show you these pictures not as a point of bragging, But I want you to see something that's interesting, especially in the bottom corner, the older pouring into the younger. You don't have to be a pastor or a deacon, official leader in the church to lead. All of these people led my kids to a certain degree at different ages in different parts of their life. So I'm going to spend some time talking about leadership today. But I don't want you to think that because you don't have that title of pastor or deacon or something else that might be out there, that you aren't leading. We all lead. Regardless of who you are, we all lead. No matter our age, no matter our title, we're all an example of some kind. And here in Micah chapter 3, we see a very intense you can, so you don't distract people from the cuteness of those pictures. <laughs> Here in Micah chapter 3, we see something very heavy. And Micah comes and he basically pours out judgment. He denounces the rulers and the prophets of the time. These people were wolves in shepherds' clothing. Not sheep's clothing, shepherds. They were the leaders of the church. They were called to shepherd the flock that God had entrusted them to. But they were really just wolves dressed up as shepherds, devouring. And you see the language there. There's just four verses of just poor, like cannibalism. Right? Here are the shepherds who are called to care for the flock, but they are taking the flesh off the bones and chopping them up and putting them into a cauldron like, like stew. 
They were using the people of God and, and devouring them. They were wolves in sheep's clothing. So what's going on here? It says in verse 1, And I said, Hear you heads of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel. It is not for you to know justice. Like, come on, guys. You're supposed to be setting the example. The leaders of Judah were responsible to execute justice because it showed God's justice. They were to be an example, but that's not what is happening here. Their cannibalistic exploitation of the people, of the poor, the powerless, the marginalized, really showed what their heart really is. They had no interest in walking in God's ways. You see this in verse 2. You who hate the good and love evil, who tear the skin from my people. You can hear God's anger boiling. And their flesh from their bones. So this is what God says in response to this. To these wolves who are dressed up as shepherd's clothing. Then they will cry to the Lord. But he will not answer them in verse 4. He will hide his face from them at the time because they have made their deeds evil. See, they really refuse to listen to God or to the cries of the people. And this meant that God wasn't going to listen to them anymore. When they cried out for help, God wasn't going to listen. See, those who demonstrate by their refusal to trust and to revere God that they are not his children can't expect him to answer their prayers. I remember when I was a youth pastor, I was having this conversation with someone who, who one of my leaders, and we were having a talk about prayer and answering prayer, and somehow the conversation came up about people who aren't Christians and does God listen to their prayers? Well, I don't know. I think God has just said something in Micah chapter 4. I think God listens to the prayer of all sinners, but first it starts with the prayer of confession and repentance. See, in Psalm 66 verse 18 it says this, If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. Or in 1 Peter 3 verse 7 it says this, Likewise husbands, husbands listen up here, this is a whole other sermon, but let's husbands live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as a weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Men, treat your wives well and with honor, because if you don't, you can't expect God to listen to you. It's intense. But that's another sermon. So here's the question. What is your life showing about who God is? What are your words, your actions saying about who God is? Because the actions of these leaders, these prophets, these leaders of Jerusalem, of Israel, were showing something that God was not. The leader's heart didn't line up with the hearts of God's at all. So what does this mean for us The only way for us to apply this passage honestly is to realize our own relationship with the ruthless rulers of Jerusalem. 
We might not have their opportunities for such widespread evil. We may not be what we consider to be leaders, but God has put us in different positions. If it be a nursery worker, a greeter, an usher, the music team, and in any other way or another, we have acted in similar ways to what these leaders have done. We have been preoccupied with our own well-being so as to act cruelly to others. We have turned our faces from the needy. I, was, I did that myself not too, like a couple of days ago. I was walking in the store, and there was a guy there with a sign. And I kind of walked around. So there are things that I need to confess of. We have crushed, we have caused harm to others in our behavior as parents and as children, as husbands and as wives, as bosses and employees, as pastors and as deacons. And as church members, we've all embedded the spirit of the heads of Jacob and the rulers of the house of Jacob. So by our actions, we have shown hatred for good and love for evil. If God should visit us with calamity, refuse our prayers, and turn his face from us, we will have deserved it. I had this conversation with one of my kids the other day about how life is always unfair. As a Christian, you've experienced the most unfair thing out there. You've received grace. If God should cast us forever into the torments of hell, we will have deserved that too. So what in the world is the hope for me? It doesn't seem like there's a lot of hope going on here. So the answer is implied by the mere fact that God has graciously provided us with this warning. We can turn our hearts from evil and convict ourselves before God, fully confessing our sins and the evil of them. We can seek the grace of our God, who Micah says later on in chapter 7, delights in mercy. We can turn our ears to the good news that God has acted in mercy by sending his son to die on the cross for our sins. See, it's important to read the Bible as one story rather than a bunch of little isolated stories. Because when we do, we see that one of Micah's original hearers would later respond to this message. As the highest official of the land, Hezekiah does. And he repents. See, Jeremiah, in the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah records Hezekiah's response. And God didn't lash out against this. Hezekiah didn't lash out against Micah, but he, he takes it and he, he repents of it. Hezekiah did exactly this. And when he prayed in true repentance and faith, God heard his plea. He showed the king his face and relented of the disaster that he was about to bring. So how can God forgive such grotesque sins? How can we see them forgiven for such things like chopping up people's bodies and making them into meat in a pot? It's only through the infinite, precious blood of our own, God's own Son, Jesus Christ. God is willing and able to forgive our sins, your sins, to the glory of His grace. Then God calls us to this kind of a reformation that sweeps out the idols of our hearts and restores the ideals of God's justice. 
through the power of the Holy Spirit that he sends. Because those who God calls, he justifies, and those he justifies, he sanctifies. We see that anyone who is willing to confess their sins, God looks on humbly. We see John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. One verse later, whoever believes in him, in verse 18, is not condemned, but whoever does not believe in is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the one Son of God. So ultimately, through our sin and failure, we all give God reason not to listen to us. Yet there was one who had no sins or failures, who deserved to be heard by God and wasn't. The sinless one's prayers was unanswered so that the penitent sinner's prayers can be answered. So we rest in our great mediator, Jesus Christ. So if wolves are dressing like shepherds, how in the world do I know who's who? The testing between the shepherds and the wolves is what comes up in these next few verses, in verses 5 to verses 8. So let me ask you this question, how do I tell? How does Micah allow us and give us the skills to, to see the difference In Micah 5, thus says the Lord concerning the prophets who lead my people, sorry, Micah 3, 5, who lead my people astray, who cry peace when they have something to eat, but declare war against him who puts nothing in their mouths. These prophets were calling the leaders, weren't calling the leaders to repentance ultimately. They were giving false assurances that they were okay, that nothing's wrong, that we're good to go. Rather than calling the rulers to repentance, these prophets for pay. So you can just imagine this, right? Prophets are God's messengers. They're, they're sent by God. We saw this in Jonah. They were, they're God's messengers of what he has said. I just finished reading through Leviticus, and everything that you see in Micah and Jonah about judgment and condemnation is said in Leviticus. They're just communicating what God has already said, their judgments. But instead, this is what's happening. So the prophets would come up to the leader and be like, hey, I got a word from the Lord. How do you want it to turn out? Oh, let me open my pocket. A little wider. A little bit more. All right, let me tell you what God has to say. Um kind of a biased situation going on there, isn't it? So they're coming and they're asking money. They're giving this false assurance with, that, that, that they were at peace with God. But Micah confronted the rulers regarding their sin in order that they might confess and repent and thereby enjoy peace with God. How do people know that they need a Savior if they don't know that they need a Savior? Our greatest need is a need of a Savior. And that doesn't happen unless we tell people the gospel, the full gospel of Jesus Christ, that Christ died for our sins and he rose again. This peace was ultimately made by Christ's reconciling work on the cross. We see this in Romans 5, verse 1. Therefore, 
Since you have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Or even in Ephesians 2, verse 14, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. So what does this mean for us here? See, the temptation for people like me who are leaders in the church, for pastors, is to be the prophet for pay. Is to tone down the message. To make it more palatable to the hearer. But this is why we believe in expository preaching of going through chapter by chapter because we hit verses and chapters like this and now you have to deal with it. And that's the hard part. We, we start down, and when we surrender to this temptation, we start down this slippery slope of pleasing people rather than God. Or of trying to seek fame and fortune with a message that will be popular rather than true. This happens to us all, though, right? It's not just the people on TV we see doing this. But this happens to us all. When we share the gospel, we don't want to offend anyone anymore, right? We don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. So let me just tell you about how Jesus loves you. That's great. Jesus does love you. But even in John 3, 16, 17, and 18, it talks about something else there. About how we're all condemned. And that Jesus shows his love so graciously and amazing to us by taking our place on the cross for our sins. If people don't see that they're in desperate need of, their, of, of, of a Savior, the holiness of who God is, and that he is so rich in grace and mercy, if you don't show them the cross, then we begin to compromise. So it happens to us all. What makes it good news if we don't tell them the bad news too? Right? I had this weird dream last night. I was in a movie. It was great. It was one of those action movies. And, uh, and I was obviously the hero. But, um, you know, the, one of the characters in my dream, uh, he's, he's going to be the new James Bond. But um, the, uh, he, he comes on, he's like, would you like to hear the good news or the bad news? Like, obviously, we want to hear the good news, right? But what makes it so good is the bad news. Sometimes in the movies, they give you the good and the bad news, and they're both bad. But they're, one's better than the other. We need to give them both. You and me, we need to con- con- constantly be seeking inspiration from God's word. It's God's word that must be the most important thing. When we are talking with friends who are struggling with something, we need to be dependent on the words of God so that we don't lie to them. When someone comes to us and says something that's deep on their heart and, 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 and we respond with this, oh, it's going to be okay, sometimes it's not. But let me tell you about the Savior who can sustain you through that. You're suffering you're sick, you lost your job, it's not, it may not be okay. I'll tell you about the Savior who, who, who makes it all good, who can sustain you through those trials. See, these false prophets, these false leaders 
Because of the false assurance that they were giving, these false prophets were offering a false assurance. We see this in verses 3 to 12. So now we have false prophets and false assurance. If they're not true prophets, they're giving us a whole bunch of lies. And God comes and he uses this word detest. They detest justice. In verse 9, hear this, you heads of the house of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel who detest justice. See, they're not even just like ignoring justice. They're actively working against it. And these are the type of people that God is coming and talking to. But there's a spiritual presumption that is happening here. They're thinking everything's great. Everything is awesome. Now you got that song stuck in your head. Only the parents are laughing because they're the only ones that have seen the movie. Everything is great. Look at how we are prospering. God must be for us. And God responds with this, no, you will be destroyed. See, Judah's crooked rulers and their priests and their prophets led the people to wrongly assume that because they had this promise, this covenant promise, and, and because they had the temple, that they were safe from the judgment of God. But those who truly trust the Lord show their trust by keeping God's commands and turning towards Him in repentance when they fail rather than persisting in unobedient dis- disobedience, unrepented disobedience. You know, for me as a, as a pastor, um, I use this example in our baptism class all the time. See, baptism is a public proclamation of your faith. But it is also a step of obedience. God tells you to do it, and you do it. Right? So if someone says, no, I'm not going to do it, I don't know what else you call that. I call it disobedience. I tell that to my kids all the time. But I was using this example of back when I was younger, I remember uh, there was someone in the church I was serving at who refused to get baptized because they didn't want their hair to get wrecked. And I kind of went, What? Really? They didn't want their perm to get wrecked. Uh, I, I have no idea how that stuff works, but I don't know. But I, the response to me is this. is God tells you to do something, that's the saddest of excuses I've ever heard in my life. If you want the 25, I don't know how much a perm is. Like, I'll pay for it. Like, what do you want? Like, Hebrews 10, 26 says this. If we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there, is no longer, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. What? Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commands is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. So what does this mean for us? The fall of Jerusalem poses a warning to you and to me. You know, Jeremiah and Jeremiah speaking on behalf of Micah and all the other prophets summed up God's call to us. I have sent you all my servants 
the prophets, sending them persistently, saying, Turn now, every one of you, from his evil way, and amend your deeds, and do not go after other gods to serve them. And then you shall dwell in the land that I gave to you and your fathers, i.e., peace and rest. See, the biblical term for this is reformation. It involves remembering God's word, repenting of our sin, and returning to God for the grace we need to renew in faith and obedience. See, Jesus Christ, the last and the greatest of the prophets, brought this very message to Jerusalem and its rebuilt temple. But he put it this way in John 2, verse 19. Destroy this temple, and in three days I will rise it up. See, Jesus predicted that after, the, after Jerusalem rejected him and handed him over to the cross, that the city would be destroyed and his temple finally dismantled, never to be rebuilt. But when he said that, in three days I will rise it up, he was speaking of the new temple that he would build, the temple that is his body. See, when Jesus rose from the grave, having died on the cross for our sins, he lay the cornerstone of the true temple that will never be destroyed. Whenever a sinner repents and believes in Jesus, he or she becomes part of that spiritual body. They become a Christian, part of the family of God. The Apostle Peter wrote, As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God's chosen and precious, you yourself, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ Jesus. See, if this is true of us, then how can we go on in the sin of the spiritual presumption as people of the resurrection and the new temple that can never be destroyed let us hear god's word fall on our let us hear god's word fall on our knees before god let us appeal again to the cleansing blood of christ let us rise up in pursuit of the true spiritual holiness let us continue to reform our lives by God's grace, in accordance to his word. So what? You know, who cares? Oh, you can't even read that. It says this. We lead best by being examples by following the great shepherd. That's how we lead best. Every Sunday we gather together to worship our awesome God, We interact with one another and we are examples to those around us of what it means to be a follower of Christ, a disciple of Jesus. You know, I look back and I think of the people that have poured into my kids. I look forward to the people that God will continue to bring alongside of them that will pour into their kids. We have it going on right now as they're in junior church. We all lead by example. Let us lead by example the best way, by following our great shepherd. Let us aim to glorify God by being disciples who are growing in Christ's likeness as we gather together in smaller or larger groups with the word of God and praying for one another.
Let us be disciples who are making disciples of Jesus Christ. Let us be examples. Let us be the best example possible by following the great shepherd. Let us continue to worship our awesome God.